It's a long-known fact that the best time to buy stocks is when everybody else is selling them. And the worst time to buy is when everybody else wants them. Well, right now, nobody wants mining shares. Nobody. Uh, perhaps Peter Major, who is our go-to guy, always has been when it comes to matters of mining, will be able to change our minds on that one. Peter, you know, I was looking back at an interview we did 10 years ago. Biz News has been going for 10 years. And one of the very first interviews we did was uh, you came into our offices. You might recall they were at the Johannesburg Stock Exchange back then, which was thriving at that time and not uh, the, the sluggish operation that it is today. And we were looking for 10 baggers. We were looking for stocks in the mining sector that were going to go up 10 times it feels like we're in one of those situations right now. No one wants mining shares. Are they wrong? No, but they may be a little bit early, Alex. Uh, I'm trying to remember 10 years ago, that would have been 2013, and they fell for another two years. And I think it was the end of 2015 that, what do we call it? Capitulation. Capitulation is when even the strongest, toughest guy says, I give up. Kind of like, is it Conan McGregor, you know, the cage fighter. Even he capitulates every now and then. He actually puts his hand in the air and waves to the ref, stop the fight, I give up. And that was 2015, the end of 2015. That's when Anglo-American was down at 55 rand a share. Um, you couldn't give it away. Couldn't give any mining shares away. I don't think we're at capitulation yet. And capitulation is the safe time to buy. doesn't mean they're going to go up the next day, but it means they're almost certainly not going to go any lower. And if they close the shutters and get liquidated, the assets are going to probably equal multiples what you paid for. So we're low now, but I think we're low with pretty good reason. You've just been to the mining in Darba in Cape Town. It is the one event of the year where mining people from all over the world converge on the mother city. How many of those have you been to, Peter? Well, it was the 30-year anniversary for the big one, the big African mining Java. And I feel so bad, Alec. I probably missed three or four of them. And I, I had no excuse to. You know, I, I was working for Shelterworth then. I was way out of town. I guess I figured, oh, it's too far to drive in if I'm parking. I think I've made every other one. So I think I've made 26 out of the 30. It was just there around 2001, 2002, 2003. I missed three or four right in the middle there. There can be nobody else probably in the world who can give us a better context of where we are right now. Given that everybody comes together at the, everyone in the industry comes together at that in Darba. So help us through what's the mood? You know, the mood was surprisingly good because we have had a meltdown in most mining companies for the last six to nine months. And what's scary this time is we're having a meltdown after a 20-year super cycle. This cycle started in the end of 2002, early 2003. And yes, we had some falls in the meantime, but each time it fell, it seemed to hit another higher level. And the the real boom was during COVID. I was looking for a rope to hang myself when COVID hit here. I thought we battled in mining for the last few years. The world has no chance. This is the Black Plague all over again. And yet within two to three months of COVID hitting in 
February, March 2020. By May or June, we saw commodity prices look like they bounced. The stock market looked like it bounced. It wasn't a bounce. It was a continuation of this amazing 20-year super cycle. So maybe this is just a, a, a part-time, short-term weakness, and it's going to go up again. Well, who's to say this can't be a 25-year super cycle? But I am concerned that the big drivers are looking tapped out. Big driver mainly be China. You know, China had 30 years of double digit growth. And four and five percent isn't bad for a country that big, but we know they took on a lot of debt. They printed a lot of money. They had borrowing, they don't even know how much. You know, municipalities were running out, running their own wants. And so here's a country that was taking more than 50% of all world commodities for at least the last 15 years. And it's probably not going to take 50% of the world commodities going forward. The U.S. isn't looking too bad. What concerns me is the U.S. is very close to all-time high earnings, just like our South African market is close to all-time high earnings. And, you know, when you're double your long-term average real terms, that's what those earnings are, you say there's a lot more downside potential than up. So I am concerned that this weakness in commodity prices and mining shares could continue, especially when I think a lot of these commodity prices are actually pretty strong. Iron ore, way above its meat. Oil, slightly above its meat. Gold, double its meat. Uranium, multiples of its meat. So, you know, usually at the bottom of the cycle, all commodities are below their meat. Even copper, it's above its meat. So I, I think there's there's more weakness to come, maybe two or three months. And from a South African perspective, the stock prices here have not been doing well over the past year or so, uh, particularly platinum shares who are always amongst the big losers. Is this a reflection that the what um, their problems are is greater than just the commodity prices? Yes, I think you're spot on, Ellie, without a doubt. You know, Billiton has the same problem with commodity prices that Anglo-American has. But look how Billiton's rating has held up. Look how its share price has held up. Because the world knows Anglo-American still gets more than half its earnings out of a place called South Africa. So without a doubt, Savonia too. You know, as bad as the palladium price is, it's still water platinum in Montana the bulk of Sabanya's earnings are still coming from this country. So you're exactly right. These aren't disastrous commodity prices. You know, even platinum is slightly below its long-term average. But I think its long-term average is maybe 900, 925. It's trading at 870. That's not too far below. Palladium, it's still above its long-term average. It's trading at maybe 890. Its long-term average is 650. Rhodium. Still trading at 4,400 and ounce. Its long-term average is 38. So you're right. Why are our shares getting hit so hard if these commodity prices are actually holding up okay? It's because the environment that our shares, our companies operated in is toxic, toxic. Some of these companies would have a better chance landing on Uranus without a spacesuit than they have battling the toxic environment right here. Peter, and would you then be looking at the election? It's now the latest betting. 
is odds on that it's going to be on the 29th of May. So take it, take it. You heard it here first, 29th of May. That's what my inside sources tell me. Uh, I know most people are, uh, or most of the betting is saying 22nd of May, but the 29th is the day we've been told. Uh, are you keeping a close eye on that and uh, the various scenarios after the election? What might that do to these mining stocks? And I'm trying to get to a, pa- a place where the intelligent investor can look at this and say, it is time to plunge or it's time to stay far away. Alec, I'm kind of past the stage in this scenario planning. You know, when you're young, it sounds like a real cool idea. But even Jack Welch, General Electric, he, he put this scenario planning way at the back. He said, guys, the environment is so dynamic. It changes so quick that I'm not going to waste a lot of time taking guys away for a week planning something. It's already stale two weeks after the end. Okay, maybe I'm being lazy. This election is very important, but the odds are it's not going to have a positive effect on any of our companies. It's going to have a negative effect. So investors aren't going to try and second guess it. They know it's going to have a bad to a horrible effect. And if this ruling party cared anything about this country, they would bring this election forward a month or two so that we can get through the pain because no investor is going to do anything between now you told me the 29th of May. Whereas if we could say this was going to be the 29th of April, at least we'd only have to endure this miserable purgatory for another two months, two and a half. And I'd love to have this thing at the end of February or at least the end of March, because it's not just the ruling party as a dominant role here. What if they get 49%? What if they get 45? What if they get 40? Well, most of these splinter groups came from ANC anyways, and they're all savvy enough to know together we control a $2 trillion budget. On our own, we don't control any budget. So I have no doubt they're going to find each other. They've been lost in the wild for a bit. I think Zuma, Mr. Malema, and whoever's running the ANC, they will find themselves because there's a $2 trillion rand goose egg right in front of them. They all know what it's like to control that budget. They'll work together. And even if none of those three parties had control, you have to realize ANC has been in power for 30 years plus. They have probably one and a half million cadres deployed in virtually every government job. So you can change the captain, but if the crew's the same, my gosh. I know it's not a pretty scenario, but investors know that. I don't have to tell any investor that. I get told that all the time. Like, they don't think I live here. They don't think I read and watch the news and interact. So these are what foreigners are telling me. I'm just repeating it. Was there any good news to come out of the Indaba for South African mining? There was good news out of the Indaba for Africa and possibly some good news for South African mining. And it's called SADC. SADC, the 16 countries north and surrounding us. The poster children for SADC have been Zambia and the DRC and now Angola. And I would tell anybody, I don't want to go to DRC. I haven't been there, but it's too tough for me. But I've been to Zambia a fair amount. We've got a branch there. We're doing a few projects there. It's slow. It's cumbersome. It's corrupt, but not on the scale that it is here. And their infrastructure is much worse than here. But 
The difference is everybody in Zambia thinks it's going to be nicer tomorrow. They can see blue in the sky. Now, maybe it's their sunglasses, maybe it's a mirage, but even when I go up there, I can see blue on the horizon. I can see light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what's the saddest thing about South Africa, is this party running in place has driven out the hope of everybody in the country. I worked on these mines on the early 80s. They were exuberant, Alec. Apartheid fell in mining in 1979, 1980 on Oki. The Vion Commission put nails in apartheid on the mines. So everybody on the mine was excited. They knew things were going to get better. And that's the whites and the blacks. And believe me, by 1983, we were training any black who wanted to be a miner, a full-blown miner, how to do it. By 84, the first shift bosses were black miners, were available. I think Goldfields in 85, 86 had black mine captains. By 87, there were black underground managers. So in the 80s, everybody had hope. They knew Mandela was going to get out. They knew we were going to be a full democracy. Things look great here. And even the foreigners thought that. Now, there's no hope. Talk to anybody on the mines. I don't care what the race or the job is. They just see misery down the road. They see people battling for positions of power in politics. They see the infrastructure crumbling. And everyone has shown their true coat in politics. So that's the saddest bit of all for this country. But the DRC... Angola, Zambia, my gosh, there's optimism there. The U.S. had a bigger delegation here than they've ever had it in double, probably double their size. They think they're missing the boat. They're rushing in to try and do the Lepito Corridor so that Robert Freeland can put on trains like they did 100 years ago. They could put their product on trains that go from the DRC all the way through Angola to a port. So there is optimism around us, and I think our mining companies they know there's optimism outside the country. They're going to deploy their talent and their money there where there's blue sky and you can you can actually realize a better life. There's always a big South African government delegation at the Indaba. Did they not do anything then this time around to change the perceptions? Alec, I think they're very much stuck in a rut and they don't know how to get out. They're used to doing the same thing over and over and over. And we could see our mining minister, Gwede Montash, he had a little sense of shame and foreboding embarrassment. He didn't want to go to the fourth endowment in a row and try and tell all these foreign delegates why there's no cadastro system. So he had all kinds of excuses the last three and a half years. But we saw the last couple of months, he got a move on and he couldn't quite break through the barrier of doing something great. Because everybody would say, why didn't you do it four years ago? He couldn't walk across the street to internet connection and buy a spatial dimension cadastro system because that's where everybody's told him for 20 years. But he's created three companies, a com combination of three different companies that they are going to create a South African cadastro system. Unfortunately, we don't have milestones. We don't have a budget. We don't have timelines. He says they will spend the next year implementing this. But does that mean creating it and implementing it? Does that mean downloading all the information onto it? We don't know. But that was the most Mr. Montage could do. Just like he used to laugh, our president had to force him to take the limit off alternative energy sources. Remember, he raised the limit for one 
one kilowatt to one megawatt to 10. And then Mr. Ramaphosa made him go up to 100. And then quietly, about a year later, Mr. Ramaphosa took that limit off. Because we were all saying, why do you have any limit? Why are you limiting people to generate electricity? Don't you know it's good for us, good for the country? So yes, they come to the delegation, but they just they just go through the motions. They don't know what to do. They, they actually don't know how to compete with the countries north of us. They don't want to see investors because investors are going to say, you look the same, you talk the same as four years ago. You're continuing to stay with a bad policy. It was bad from the start. It drove out all local and foreign investment. You're even doubling down. So surely, given that background, given that perspective, if there were to be a positive result in the election, and by that I mean 50% plus for political parties that are free enterprise driven, that will want to get the economy going again, it shouldn't be too difficult if it's been so badly managed. You're right. This is one of the few times that I would even volunteer for the job. When something is so run into the ground, you think, gee, even on a bad day, I could make it better. If, if you had a magic wand, it could just vanquish all of parliament. We would probably be better off because we'd go back like in the old days. Um, the, the tribal chiefs would give a concession to a Western enterprise to run the harbors, to run the roads or the water or the electricity. We just give concessions. The world is surrounded by money. And it's surrounded, we're surrounded by money. We're surrounded by contractors, that people how to know how to do all this. So if we had no government, our market would probably go up 50% the next day. If we had a government that was very different and they said, we're going to relook at policy, like we saw in the DRC, Alec, and we saw it in Zambia. Those countries were powerhouses. They were almost tied with Chile is being the biggest copper producer in the world outside of America back in the late 60s, early 70s. They were the three giants, Chile, Zambia, DRC. All three changed their policy in the late 60s, early 70s. Chile changed their policy to be even more proactive mining. So they went from 700,000 tons to a million to 2 million. They got up to two and a half, three million. They changed their policy again. They went from 3 million to 6 million tons per annum. Unfortunately, the DRC in Zambia changed their policy for the negative. They fell from 700, 800,000 tons to 500, 4, 3, 2. The DRC actually fell to almost zero. But by regime change, which also brought in policy change, they have skyrocketed. Those two countries have received tens of billions of dollars just in mining investment the last 20 years. You only have to look at one of Robert Friedman's presentations to see what the DRC has done with those tens of billions. They're now producing two and a half million tons of copper. They are number three. They're right behind, well, they're a ways behind Chile, but they passed Peru, who also changed policy and went from a few hundred thousand to 2.4. So it can be done. And as you said, it won't take long. Once you announce to the world, you're changing policy. They're only going to look for two or three actual changes to say, wow, these guys mean business. They're walking the talk. Peter Major, thank you for updating us and for bringing us up to speed with what happened at the mining in Darba here in Cape Town, the one event that the whole world of mining comes together in. I'm Alec Hogg from biznews.com. 